last Sunday we kicked off a, a new series of uh, sermons and teachings called Soul Detox, Living Pure in a Contaminated World. Uh, Pastor Chad was on sermon study break last week, and he's on vacation this week. My name is Craig Case. I'm the associate pastor here at our church. And it's my joy to be a part of this uh, teaching series. And it was so fun kicking it off last week and talking about the fact that, that, that our world, um, our culture is uh, contaminated. And I, I began last week's sermon by talking about uh, things like our air, that our air has pollutants and contaminants that many of us are aware of. But even the things that we may not be aware of, like carbon dioxide or lead, or as, as uh, one person in our congregation pointed out to me, even, even things that seem to be safe, some of the carbon oxides uh, can be safe, but if, you, if you're exposed to it too much, it actually can be lethal, it can be harmful. Uh, so not only do we have pollutants in our air, but we also have pollutants in our water. We also have pollutants in our food. In fact, I did a search uh, of, of apps uh, on iPhones and smartphones and tablets, different apps that are out there in terms of what you can get an app for to detoxify yourself when it comes to your food. And I couldn't believe how many apps there are. It's about food detox. It's just unbelievable. So we have, you know, we have this awareness that there are these, are these pollutants and these, these contaminants. Yet at the same time, as a culture and as a society, since the 1970s, uh, we've really raised the standard, haven't we, when it comes to air quality, when it comes to food quality, when it comes to water quality. But interestingly, at the same time, we have lowered the, lowered the standard. We've kind of dropped our guard when it comes to morality. You know, as a society, that we've been so conscious of air quality and water quality and, and food quality, but when it comes to uh, morality, when it comes to sin, when it comes to making right and good choices, that we've really lowered our standard, standards as a society. And what we're doing in, the, in this series of Soul Detox is really for us as a church community to think through what are those things? What are those things that, that you and I are exposed to? For example, last week I talked about entertainment. Uh, the influence of entertainment that uh, is in our lives. The fact that each of us, the average American, it says in, in, in recent research, that we have about five hours of discretionary time each day, and the average American spends about 2.7 of that just on television. And entertainment has a big influence on us, and I, I think all of us would agree there are contaminants in the entertainment world. But at the same time, we're, we're not trying to be legalistic about this, are we? We're not saying, hey, you know, put on the radiation suit over here, you know, put the radiation suit on, put the boots on, you know, put the mask on here. You know, it's like Marty McFly in Back to the Future, isn't it? You know, put on the radiation suit. We're not saying live that way, to live in a bubble. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 24, in the message translation, he's, Jesus says, don't be nitpickers. In other words, don't be legalists. Um, don't be formulaic about this, but what he says, use your mind and your heart to discern what is true. And that is the goal of soul detox, is where you and I come together and discern what are those things that we're allowing into our lives. Perhaps as, as some of these carbon oxides, you really can't see them, but are, are very harmful in our lives. What are those things? as we uh, intersect with culture, trying to be a Jesus follower in 2013. Um, as we do that, what does it look like for you and I to live in the way of Jesus, still intersect with culture, but being very 
um, discerning about what we allow into our lives, and especially for parents, what we allow into the lives of our children makes a big difference. I'd like to invite you this morning to turn to Colossians chapter 3. It's, it's a foundational verse, uh, actually a passage for us in this series. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul talks about, um, he's talking to these Christians, and he's talking to them, you know, this whole thing of, of being a Jesus follower um, in the midst of a culture that seems to be uh, directed uh, away from that. Uh, a culture that's contaminated. And he's writing to these, these Colossian Christians in the first century that were very much dealing with a very polluted, a very con- contaminated culture. And, and Paul says this so beautifully in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised to new life with, with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. I'm going to skip down to verse 3. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Let me read that again. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. It's just beautiful. So what does that look like for you and I? To set our minds towards the realities of heaven. I like how Paul kind of breaks this down in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. And you, you might be somewhat familiar with that passage. He says, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is admirable, think on such things. So it kind of breaks down this idea of, so what does that look like for you and I in terms of the realities of heaven? I think Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9, it is is a nice parallel passage to that, where it really gets into specifics of what that looks like for us. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on such things. And for you and I, to incorporate that in our lives as we go to work tomorrow, um, as we have conversations with our neighbors, as we're involved perhaps in traveling sports, as we're involved in different clubs that we're a part of. Maybe for you and I is to be the kind of people that um, really live that out. I mentioned last week that each of us has 86,400 seconds a day. No more, no less. 86,400 seconds a day. Soul Detox is about you and I um, taking some of those seconds, those moments that we have, and maybe it's simply a baby step for you and I, where we invite God into those moments, that we invite God and we become aware of his presence, and setting our, our sights on the realities of heaven is all about doing that. So for you and I, Soul Detox is really inviting uh, God in those moments. Well, this morning, uh, we have a special guest in our midst, and it's just my privilege to have John Gordon here, the former voice of the Minnesota Twins. Before he comes up here, I just got to tell you the story, um, kind of a funny story. Um, I proposed to my wife, Janelle, on the seventh game of the 91 World Series. You remember that World Series against the Atlanta Braves? Seventh game, my father-in-law had tickets to game seven, and my father-in-law, Bob, wasn't a big fan of Craig Case, yours truly, Okay. <laughs> It was an uphill battle. Janiel is the oldest of five. He's a patriarch, very hands-on, controlling. This is his oldest daughter, the first daughter. Uh, so half an hour before he's about to leave for game seven, heading down to the dome, I said, Bob, I'd like to talk to you. And I was just a bottle of nerves. I was just, you know, sweating. And he's like, saying, you know, he's trying to calm me down. He's like, Craig, it's okay, it's okay. Um, and then I, I said, Bob, I'd like to 
asked for your blessing in, in marrying your daughter, Janiel. And his eyes got really big. <laughs> and then, interestingly, he, be, he began talking about the things he didn't like about me. <laughs> you know, since then, he, he claims he has a spiritual gift of prophecy. He's, you know, they have this gift of, uh, you know, truth from air, whatever. Uh, anyways, uh, so, so he's, he begins with this, you know, this stuff that he doesn't like about me. And then he kind of makes his way to the few items that he did like about me. And no lie, this is, and when he gets to the time for his response, it's like he's thinking out loud. He says, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay. That was it. He took off for game seven. So my, my uh, wife, Janiel, and I, we, we get in the car, and, and it was kind of somewhat of a surprise. I think she kind of detected when I was in her dad's office for a half an hour, you know. Um, we make our way uh, to Stillwater because uh, I had the kind of area mapped out. So I'm kind of quoting Shakespeare and, and whatever sonnets I could think of. I'm an English lit major at the U of M. And, and we're making our way down to the St. Croix River. It's a full moon, full moon, beautiful autumn night. And I proposed to her. She says, yes, we, we go to uh, our Italian restaurant right in downtown Stillwater. And I'm kind of keeping my eye on the watch. I'm thinking of game seven at the same time. And, you know, we, we make it through the pasta. And on our way back, after celebrating Janiel saying yes to marriage to me, we listen to John Gordon describe game seven of, of the 91 World Series. So John has a special part of our, our marriage and life. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of a cool thing. So, but anyways, uh, we asked John to come here and just kind of share about his career, 46 years in sports broadcasting, 25 years of the Minnesota Twins, and just his passion for uh, fellowship of uh, Christian athletes. Uh, he has two children, one of them, Gordy, is here this morning, four grandchildren. John and his wife, Nancy, uh, make their home in Bloomington, Minnesota, so it's our pleasure to welcome John Gordon to the stage. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Craig. Uh, I've been known to put people to sleep, you know, during broadcast. I, I'm glad I didn't do that on the night of your uh, proposal to, uh, to your wife. Uh, Craig doesn't know, but uh, we go back a, a ways uh, when he was first starting in the ministry and was uh, down in Fairmont, Minnesota, and ready to deliver his first ever sermon. I was in attendance that day, and uh, as you can well imagine, Craig was quite nervous, even probably more nervous than he was when he proposed to his wife because he had a full house and he was prepared for his uh, first ever sermon to, uh, to the parish. And, and uh, he, uh, he, he looked good. He had his shoes shine. He had a nice suit on and a tie. And, I mean, he was, he was ready. And uh, he started off by reading his favorite Bible verse. And he was then prepared to, to give his sermon. And uh, as he was preparing to give his sermon, uh, his mind just went away. And uh, he, he didn't know what to do. And he, he remembered when he was in seminary that uh, his professor had told him that if there's ever a time when you feel like you need help in, in, in getting yourself started and getting yourself going, just remember very simply, behold, I come. So as Craig was ready to deliver the sermon and his mind had gone blank, he looked down and he looked up and he said, behold, I come. And he was ready to start his sermon, and again, nothing. I mean, he, he had absolutely <laughs> no idea what he was going to talk about. And he, he tried it one more time, and he looked down, and he looked back up, and he said, Behold, I come. El Blanco. I mean, he was done. He had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. So he, he tried it one more time, and he grabbed a hold of the, the pulpit, and, and as he grabbed a hold of it, and he had firm grip of the pulpit, and he said, Behold, I come. 
And in doing that, the pulpit collapsed on him. And, and he actually did a full somersault and rolled right down into the front of the church to the 89-year-old woman who had never missed a Sunday service in her life. And she had glasses on and what have you, and her Bible was open. And he tumbled right into her. And as he got up and, you know, he tried to adjust himself and what have you, and he said, I- I'm so sorry, ma'am. I- I'm just so sorry. And she said, that's okay, Pastor. I should have known you were coming. You warned me three times. <laughs> I thank you for inviting me to come and be with you uh, this morning. Uh, Craig has some questions that he's prepared, and, and uh, we'll have an opportunity to uh, share the questions and the answers together. And if there's an opportunity for you folks to ask a question or to you know, inquire about something that has gone on in, in my life or my family's life, I'd be more than happy to try to answer it for you. To start, uh, I would like to just tell you a little bit about a passion that I've had all of my life. And that passion was baseball. When I was growing up as a youngster, I wanted nothing more, nothing more than to be a Major League Baseball player. That was what I wanted to do. And I played baseball when I was a youngster, and I played amateur baseball. My mother, my father, and my grandfather were in tre- tremendous influences to me in baseball. My grandfather was a great Detroit Tiger fan. I grew up in the city of Detroit. And I used to ride my bike over to his house, and I used to go and sit with him in the garage. And, and, and he sat on a rocking chair, and he would chew licorice. Uh, I think he would like to have smoked a cigarette or a cigar, but his wife wouldn't let him do that. So he chewed chew licorice, and we'd sit there, and we would listen to Detroit Tiger baseball. And, and we would dissect the game, and we would talk about the players. And, we'd, you know, and then I'd ride my bike back home after the game was over. And my dad... Uh, after he got home from work, we built a pitcher's mound in our backyard, 60 feet, 6 inches, the exact distance that, uh, that the players and the major league players were pitching from the mound to the plate. And we tore up my mother's tulip bed to build that mound. And we would, he'd come home and I'd pitch to him every night. And I just wanted nothing more. I had this passion for the game of baseball. And I, I, I have a picture of my father and my grandfather and my Father's best friend at a Detroit Tiger opening game. And, and it was a posed picture. And my grandfather and my father have their fists clenched as they're rooting for the Detroit Tigers. And the caption talks about my dad and my grandfather and how my grandfather took my dad to every Detroit Tiger baseball opener ever since my grandfather had moved to Detroit. And it started for my grandfather in 1904. And this was a picture that was taken in 1945. They had a great passion for the game of baseball. They enjoyed the game, and they wanted nothing more than their son and grandson to be a Major League Baseball player. I went to Indiana University on a baseball scholarship, and I played baseball my freshman year. Very sadly, at the age of 18, I was in the twilight of a mediocre career. And uh, (laughs) my curveball didn't curve, and my fastball wasn't very fast, and my baseball career ended. But I wanted to stay in baseball. And how I got involved in broadcasting baseball, I'll never know, but I did. And I had a wonderful opportunity in Indiana to get involved in broadcast journalism. And I would broadcast the Indiana University baseball games at Sembauer Field. And I also broadcast uh, football and basketball at Indiana. And, you know, that led to a professional career in broadcasting. And I started in 
Mount Pleasant, Michigan at a small radio station. And I did disc jockey work in the morning from 8 until noon and took a lunch break, and then I'd go to a ball game. I'd broadcast a football game, a high school or college. I'd broadcast a baseball game. I, I would do a game virtually every night. And a friend of mine called me and asked me if I'd be interested in getting involved in professional baseball. And I said, oh, man, would that be a great opportunity? And I went to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I broadcast in the Western Carolinas League. We had eight teams in the league. It was a very unique league. We, we traveled, but we never spent the night. We would go to Shelby, North Carolina for a game. We'd leave on a bus at 4.30 in the afternoon. We'd do the game, and then we'd come back home. And then the next night, we'd play Shelby at home. Then the next night, we'd go to uh, Gastonia, North Carolina, and we'd broadcast the game, and the Phillies would play. And then we'd come back home. We'd play Gastonia the next night. So every other night, we were home. Every other night, we were on the road. And we would go on the bus, and I just had a blast. I mean, I, I was... I was living the dream of broadcasting uh, professional baseball. We had a crackerjack team, and one year we won 26 games in a row, uh, the second longest uh, win streak in the history of professional baseball. Uh, we had players that graduated double-A, triple-A, major leagues. Larry Boa, who was an all-star shortstop for the Phillies and the Cubs, and a Later, a manager in the big leagues was our shortstop, and Denny Doyle was our second baseman. He played in the big leagues, and Barry Lurch was our pitcher, and he played in the big leagues. And I had the opportunity of getting involved in Major League Baseball broadcasting. And I started in Baltimore with the Orioles, and I was kind of a part-time broadcaster. And then I went from Baltimore to Columbus, Ohio. I went back to AAA and, and broadcast there for just a little bit. And then I got a job with the New York Yankees. And and from the Yankees, I came to Minnesota. And when I came to Minnesota in 1987, I, I had an opportunity to work with a wonderful man, Herb Carneal. He was just a terrific person and a, and a great broadcaster. He was a mentor, and, and I, I just appreciated everything that I, I, I had the opportunity to work with Herb in the 18 years that we worked together. He, he was, it's amazing. In, in the 18 years, we never had a crossword. We, we always got along, and, uh, you know, we, we didn't socialize a lot, but we, we, we got along on the broadcast and we got along off the air and traveling together and, and uh, you know, just having the opportunity of being together. Our families, uh, uh, Kathy, his wife, and Terry, his daughter, got along with our son, Gordy, and our daughter, Jean. And we did, we, I had a wonderful experience uh, working with Herb. And, of course, Herb passed away. And uh, it, when he passed away, I became the lead announcer for the Twins and started working uh, uh, with Danny Gladden. It, it was kind of interesting in working with Danny because I think many of you remember Danny when he came to the Twins in 1987. Uh, Danny was, he was, you know, his, his drum was a little bit of a different beat than the drum of the rest of the others. And a lot of people always said that he was either going to make a heathen out of me or I was going to make a Christian out of him, you know. And, uh, uh, and, and that's not really true because Danny had a wonderful family, a wife and two children, and uh, you know, Danny was just a pleasure to work with, and we were, you know, at first oil and water, but uh, you know, salt and pepper, whatever you want to say, but we, we did get along, and, and we, we seemed to have a chemistry that, that worked. Uh, we would talk about different things in our broadcast, but yet we would still be able to bring about, you know, what was happening as far as the game was concerned. We always remained objective in our broadcast, and Danny perhaps had a little bit more of a, you know, a homer attitude that, than, than, than I would have because I, I didn't feel like that, that was the position that a lead broadcaster would have. But, you know, he was a great uh, rooter for the Twins. And, of course, Danny's still working now and works with Corey Provis, and, and they do a wonderful job in, in doing the broadcast. But 
that was a, and, and just a, a brief summary of what, you know, the upbringing was for me in, in getting involved in, in, uh, in uh, broadcasting baseball. It was a wonderful career. I, I, uh, I was blessed. Uh, I, uh, I had a great experience. I, I always would say that my job was, was you know, it, it beat working for a living. Because uh, I, I, I just really had a passion for the game of baseball. I loved the game. I, 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 I wanted to see, you know, how the game evolved, how each game was different than any other game, uh, how the players would react to certain situations. I certainly have very strong feelings of what's happening in the game today. I wish nothing more than that the game would be played between the lines and not outside the lines. And it's played too much outside the lines. There's too much on player salaries. There's too much on, you know, what players are involved in off the field, uh, good and bad. There's too much of just too much. Why can't we just concentrate on what's happening when, you know, uh, the best pitcher of the game faces the best hitter of the game and what the result is going to be when that happens? Uh, Why can't we just emphasize and talk about the great plays or the misplays that are made in the game of baseball on the field and, and see how they end up to develop the result of the game and what the final score is. So those are the types of things that bother me today as far as the game of baseball is concerned. But it's a great game, and it's one that I've always had a tremendous passion for. Now, the pastor has a couple of questions that he'd like to ask me, and I'm going to try to answer them for you, and I think they'll relate a little bit to some of the things that are happening not only on the field but also off the field. Yeah, thanks, John, for that opening. Uh, I think in the, in the midst of a remarkable broadcasting career, how did, how did you come to Christ? Uh, did you grow up in a family that went to church and that influence, or uh, was it later in your life uh, as you're you know, beginning your career? I attended church when I was a youngster. Uh, my mother and father were, were uh, very strong uh, church members. Uh, I'm not too sure that in my upbringing that I was ever confronted with uh, committing my life to Christ. Uh, but yet, we would go to church and, and we would, I would go to Sunday school. And, and it wasn't until I got to Spartanburg, South Carolina. Spartanburg was a Bible-built city, a very strong uh, a Baptist uh, uh, following. Uh, and I attended uh, uh, First Baptist Church of Spartanburg. I became very close and very involved with uh, a pastor, Alistair Walker. And the owner of the Spartanburg Phillies baseball team was a very strong Christian man, mm. very strong. Had a great love and passion for the game of baseball, but he also had a great love for Jesus Christ. Mm. And uh, he was very influential, and the pastor was very influential. And it wasn't until I was uh, 25 years of age that I, I went to my knees and asked Christ mm. to come into my life. Mm. And it was at that time that I became, you know, a, a true Christian. I was baptized uh, in, the, uh, in the First Baptist Church of, of, of Spartanburg. So uh, I had an upbringing of being involved in church, uh, but it wasn't until I was in Spartanburg that I really came into the true meaning of, of you know, yeah. wanting to have and wanting to know that uh, Jesus Christ would live in my heart. Mm. I think the other question is, you know, in the midst of your career, you're traveling a lot, high-profile position. What did you do? What kind of practices, what kind of uh, spiritual habits did you inculcate in your life 
to really help you kind of live pure, as we've been talking about in this series? What are some of those things that really helped you um, stay true to the, the way of Jesus? You know, it's kind of interesting, uh, uh, Craig. A lot of people think that, that uh, wow, you, you travel all the time. You know, you're, you're home for a week, and then you're away for a week. You're home for a week, and, and you're away for a week. And, and I would be willing to wager that some of the gentlemen and also women that are in the audience that, that have jobs probably end up traveling more than, than I actually would travel uh, in, in baseball. But, but it seems like, you know, everybody knows that you're out of town or you're in town. Travel didn't really bother me that much. Uh, fortunately, we're in a, a, an area of the United States where uh, the east is as far away from us as the west is, and so as, as is the south. So we, you know, we would go to uh, Chicago uh, when Tom Keller was manager the day of a game, uh, and so we would be able to spend the night at home. What bothered me more than anything was working weekends. I, I, I really uh, had trouble adjusting to that. Certainly, you know, weekends are for relaxation. Weekends are for going fishing. Weekends are for, you know, being with your family and what have you. And Sundays are for coming to church and being involved in church activities. And in baseball, you were never really allowed to do that. So that, that was one area that I really struggled with and, and, you know, really had a difficult time with. It wasn't easy. And, and it's not easy for anybody that's in the, in the audience here today, you know, in the challenges that are out there. Uh, so you really have to, you know, you really have to, to work at it. Fortunately, you know, we, we had a couple of opportunities that were available to us that, you know, were, were very, very helpful, uh, very helpful. Number one, I, I wasn't really involved in, in the athlete's world. You know, I, I couldn't be. I didn't make nearly as much money as they make. I didn't, uh, I wasn't the same age that they were. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I wasn't in, in their circle, so to speak. Uh, and I guess the, the, the biggest challenge that I, I, I worked on and had a lot of success with that was very helpful was the choosing of friends. You know, just making sure that I would choose, you know, the right friends to be with uh, when we would go on the road, uh, when we would travel, when we would, you know, when we would do, you know, uh, uh, different projects uh, uh, when, when I was home. That was very helpful. We were very active in our church in, in uh, the Twin Cities at Berean Baptist. Very nice to see John and Karen Axel for, uh, uh, Axelman, who are here tonight today, who are, are John was our Sunday school teacher, and his daughter and, and son-in-law are, are members of the church here, and, and uh, that that was very helpful. So I would I would you know play golf with members of the church. I would I would be you know with members of the church. So that that was one thing that I think was was perhaps the most helpful thing of all was was choosing of friends. You know, mm-hmm. making sure I made the right choices you know, with the right people, you know, and, and, uh, for example, if we had an off day, you know, if we would get together with friends, we would get together and socialize at homes for dinners or, you know, we wouldn't go out and, you know, and do the town, so to speak, you yeah. know, those types of things. It sounds like you're well-grounded. Yeah. Um, and I, one of the questions that we talked about, uh, before the, the service, uh, as well is that, um, you, you see these, these athletes that, just amazing discipline uh, in terms of their mind and their body to accomplish incredible feats. And, and you were a witness to some of those feats that probably is still in baseball's history books. At the same time, uh, when it came to character, when it came to life off the field, it, it, you know, it was a different story. Uh, integrity, uh, things like that. And not, a, not as a kind of a posture of judgment, but, you know, what 
are, what are some of those things that we can learn that led to that, that led to sort of the, those mistakes and, and downfall? A Major League Baseball player is extremely spoiled, extremely spoiled. And uh, I can't tell you, you know, they, the, the, the heaviest thing they have to lift is a baseball bat, you know, really. I mean, they, they, they are really just treated uh, like, you know, like kings. And, and it's amazing, uh, you know, how you have to be careful that, that you know, you don't, put yourself in a position to where you get sucked into that, you know, and, and, and really do that. And not many people would know, but there's a tremendous program for baseball called the Baseball Chapel. Hmm. And uh, uh, every Major League Baseball team has a chapel leader. Uh, David McIver is the chapel leader for the uh, uh, Minnesota Twins. Uh, and uh, he's Baseball Chapel organizes this and he's very qualified and and what he does on you know the, the players can't go to uh, church on Sunday mornings uh, because they have to get to the ballpark and get ready to go or they could be on the road and what have you so uh, David McIver will get a speaker to come in uh, he might hire you know not hire but but, but get a Craig Case to go in and, and, and de- deliver a devotion to the uh, twins players and also to the visiting teams players, you know, that Sunday morning. It's a very effective program. And then it branches out. Bible studies for the wives, Bible mm-hmm. studies for the players. Corey Kosky, if you remember Corey, the third baseman, he was a great Christian man and a wonderful baseball player. But Corey, he used to call uh, call us on the telephone when we go on the road. And he said, hey, we're going to get together for prayer at, uh, at 8.30 tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. You know, those types of things. They, those were very, very helpful. And, and uh, you know, it, it's sad you, you read more about, you know, the, 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 the player that carries a firearm and sh- allegedly shoots a guy than you do about the fact that there's a baseball chapel program out mm-hmm. there. And that baseball chapel is, uh, you know, is a wonderful program for the players, the, uh, the, the wives of the players, the uh, staff, uh, everyone, you know, can get involved in baseball chapel. So it's, it's very, very helpful. But, mm. you know, you, you just... You really have to make the wise decisions, you know, wise choices. Because, like I said, you know, a, a player, when we go on the road, we would get on the airplane. And, and when we got off of the airplane and we went to Chicago, we, we didn't have to worry about anything. Our luggage was in our room. Uh, you know, our, our hotel keys were, were, you know, ready for us when we got there. There wasn't any line that we had to wait in. There wasn't any, you know, any uh, bother of, of, of people, you know, you know, bothering you, what have you. It was just very, very simple to do. Well, you'd get on the road, and, and you'd get out of, off the bus and enter the hotel. The players wouldn't even go in the, in, into the hotel lobby. They'd take off, and many of them would take off for the bar. Many of them would take off for a night out, you know, and you, you wonder what, you know, what, what that would lead to. Well, mm-hmm. how many times have we seen stories in the newspaper the next day of what happened in a bar, mm-hmm. you know, with players, uh, you know, just recently. So, you know, those types of things. That's where you really have to make the right choice and choose the right friends to be with and do the right things. Mm-hmm. You know? It seemed like in our conversation earlier, too, uh, you're pretty involved in uh, supporting uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, do you mind talking about just some of your involvement around that? Well, it's very interesting. The very, you know, you, you have a story to tell about the proposal to your wife. Uh, when, when we went from Spartanburg to Baltimore, we had a little uh, Gordy was, was no, no more than, than uh, I think he was eight months old. And, and uh, you know, we, we 
my gosh, we didn't know where Baltimore was, let alone what we were going to do. And so we ended up, you know, uh, at the hotel to our first night there. We didn't have a crib for Gory. We didn't have anything. And, and we had been active with FCA in, in uh, Spartanburg. And the FCA director had given us the names of some of the people with uh, uh, FCA in Baltimore. And one of them was Don Shinnick. And Don Shinnick was an all-pro linebacker with the Baltimore Colts. Probably one of the meanest guys you'd ever want to meet on the football field, but one of the most you know, wonderful Christian men, man that you'd ever want to meet. I called him right out of the blue and I said, Don, I'm, I'm here in Baltimore. I, I don't even know where I am, but we're at this hotel, the Holiday Inn, and I got an eight-month-old son and we don't have a crib and you can hear him crying in the background. What do we do? And he said, I'll be there, you know. He brought a crib to us, you know. So yeah. that, that was a type of thing that, that told me about FCA yeah. and what the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was and how Christian brothers help Christian brothers. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that was just, you know, the start of it. We would go to FCA uh, summer camp, and, and we would just involve ourselves with many things in FCA. And when we came to Minnesota, we were very fortunate. In New York, when we were in New York, we virtually had no FCA experiences at all because the, the, they weren't active. You know, yeah. it just wasn't there. But in Minnesota, boy, you, you people are blessed with, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Wonderful state director in Glenn Martin. Great state board of directors with experienced uh, Christian brothers and sisters. And, and they just do a wonderful job. And we continue to really help out with FCA. Uh, my wife and I sponsored a Touch Em All uh, golf tournament. We would raise anywhere close to $50,000 mm. each year for FCA. And, uh, and we'd get people to, you know, to donate money to help out. And it was a, just a great experience. But, and there were many ball players that were involved. As a matter of fact, uh, it was easy to go to, you know, Corey Kosky and some of these other players and ask them to sponsor a team. Mm. Uh, they loved to do that. And they yeah. loved to play in the tournament. So it was, a, you know, it was really a great experience. But we had a lot of fun with them. That's great. Yeah. So you're, you're out of baseball for the last two years. Yeah. What are you doing these days? Well, I think you can see I'm pretty Florida. You know, I got my <laughs> sandals. It's the first time I had long pants on in about two years. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got my Tommy Bahama beach shirt on. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Florida. Uh, we moved to Florida. Uh, we, we were, of course, in Fort Myers for many, many years uh, in spring training. And every year we'd leave and we'd say, well, we did it again. We didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, and there was just an opportunity for uh, a wonderful uh, you know, community and, and uh, uh, great weather. And I, I have a passion for golf. I, I love playing the game. And uh, my wife's a very avid tennis player, and, and she's now picked up some golf. And so we play golf and play tennis and do all the other things that, you know, uh, senior citizens are supposed to be doing. We play bridge. We, you know, just have, have a good time. And we're involved in a wonderful church, McGregor Baptist Church in, in uh, uh, Fort Myers. Uh, they have a terrific pastor, great music, and we were very active in the church and do a lot of things. So we're we're enjoying. We're, we're traveling. We're coming up through uh, Indiana to visit our daughter, and here in Minnesota to visit Gordy and his family. And uh, Thursday we're leaving for Alaska, and we're going on a cruise. Okay. I've never been on a wow. cruise before, and uh, <laughs> it should be exciting. Uh, Jim Rance, who the director of minor leagues for the Twins, he and his wife are going with us, and. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. We'll be up there for a total of 13 days. And we're going to try to do some traveling in our, yeah. in our, in our later years in life. Uh, we never had an opportunity to travel before uh, much, 
uh, and now we're doing it, and, and we're looking forward to it. Well, last year we went out to the Grand Tetons and visited out there, and you know, seeing some of the wonders of the world, and, and having an opportunity to, you know, to travel some. That's great. Keeps us busy. Thanks so much for being here this yeah. morning. Let, let, let me yeah, just do one thing, if I may, Craig, in, in closing. I talked earlier about a passion for baseball, and I have two uh, letters that I, I have in my letter file that I, I keep. And I refer to many, many times. One was a letter from an English professor in, in South Dakota. And uh, we, we went out to Spearfish, South Dakota, one winter. Uh, we went out there. I didn't think we were ever going to get there, number one. And when we got there, I was sure we were never going to get back. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's way out there. And, and I met this gentleman, and he told me about how he was involved in the 1991 World Series and had tickets to the seventh game. And he wanted to go, but he had a teacher's conference that he had to teach at in Spearfish. But he said, you know, if I drive to Minneapolis, see the game, and then drive back after the game is over, I'll be able to get back in time. So he was driving, and he got to Mitchell, South Dakota, and he got to the Corn Palace, and he pulled into a hotel, and he said, I, I can't make it. I can't do it. I can't get to Minneapolis in time for the game, and I can't get back to the teacher's conference when I'm committed to. But he was listening to the radio on that Sunday afternoon, and he heard the call of Kirby Puckett's home run in game six that won the game for the Twins. A call that fortunately I had and fortunately I called right. <laughs> and it uh, was the only time that I ever said, touch them all twice when a Twins player hit a home run. It is one of the 15 most historical home runs ever hit in the game of baseball. Ever. In the history of the game. It's a, just a monumental home run. He said when he heard that home run, there was never an option to go back to Spearfish. And he drove on to Minneapolis, saw the game, and drove back. Hmm. My father used to tell me when I started in broadcasting, he said, Johnny, just remember somebody is listening. Remember that somebody is listening. And always remember that. You never know, you know, what it's going to happen yeah. when you're broadcasting a game or when you're broadcasting, but somebody out there is listening, and always remember that. Probably the best piece of advice that I ever got. It's always reminded me that I'm to do the best that I can do. Mm. I have another letter from a pastor at our church, Roger Thompson. And after 1991, when we got back from the World Series, we had the parade, and then after the parade... Uh, we had gone to Atlanta uh, for games three, four, and five. We flew all night, never got a chance to uh, sleep. Went to a big party in downtown Atlanta. We went to a big party in Minneapolis. I mean, it, it was a whirlwind week. And after we had gone to the parades in downtown Minneapolis and St. Paul, we flew to Washington. We were in the Rose Garden, and the president of the United States was honoring the Minnesota Twins as the world champions of baseball. And we flew back, and when we flew back, we didn't land, and we didn't land. And we didn't land. We wouldn't, what the heck is going on? And finally, the pilot said they finally cleared a runway. 31 inches of snow on Halloween night. Remember that, 1991? <laughs> Never forget it. We finally landed on that one clear runway. And the next day, I trudged out to the mailbox, and I got this letter from Roger Thompson. And Roger Thompson talked about, he said, uh, he had just come to Minnesota and to Berean Baptist Church 
It was funny. The opening line, he said, Lo and behold, did I ever know that coming to Minneapolis, the Twins would win a World Series? I said, my gosh, he's only been here for two months, and he's already taken credit for the Twins winning the World Series. <laughs> so, but at the end of that letter, he, he made a very profound statement. I think it's a statement that, that I've really been able to live with since the 1991 World Series. And, and the statement was, he says, I prayed for you in the job that you have done. And my prayers for you and what I have said is that, uh, you know, I just, I just want you to know that let people know who you are. And it, it, it's amazing that when you walk a Christian life, when you know that Jesus is in your heart, I don't care if you're a baseball broadcaster or a pastor or a banker or a real estate broker, whoever you are, if people know who you are, you know, you will have a great life to live and you'll have a life to live for others. You will be making a choice of living your life for Jesus Christ. And people will know that. People will understand that you've got a good life, that you are doing the right thing. You're making the right choices. You're doing everything that you're supposed to doing because you're living a life of Jesus. And that is really what I'd love to bring across here today the passion that I had for baseball yes that was wonderful but the passion that I have and that you have and that everyone has for Jesus Christ yeah. that's what we're here for yeah thank you so I much. want to bring that to you okay well done thank you can I pray for you right now sure let's clap for him thanks John let me pray Father God, we give thanks. Uh, thank you for John and his uh, desire to live in the way of Jesus Christ, to shine your light in the lives of a number of people. Uh, thank you for his generosity and his time this morning just to be with us, to share about his life, life to let us in a little bit on, on his journey. God, I pray you bless him, um, him and Nancy and the retirement and in these years that they have together with their kids and grandkids. Um, as, as they seek to live for you um, and in these uh, times they have as well and vacations and such, um, God, that you just enrich their lives. Thank you so much for this morning. I pray for each person that, that's here, just hearing from John um, that was touched in some way. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, multiply that, that seed, that you would uh, do work um, in each person's life. Uh, so we give thanks for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give a hand for John Gordon one more time. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you.